Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, I'm Martin Pierce. Welcome to Policy Forum Pod, the podcast for those who want to dig deeper into Asia Pacific's public policy challenges. Australian Foreign Minister Julie Bishop has announced that Australia will be embarking on a new foreign policy white paper process. It'll be the first white paper on this topic since 2003, uh, though Ken Henry's Asian Century white paper in 2012 certainly touched on foreign policy issues. Since 2003, a huge amount has changed for Australia, both in terms of its relations with the Asia-Pacific region and with key global partners such as the US. In the last decade, we've seen the rise of China, the rapid escalation of the South China Sea dispute, ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, grapple with one challenge after another, the emergence of India as a major player on the world stage, and new threats, not just in the form of terrorism, but also in the growing challenge of cyber security. On top of that, we've seen Australia's overseas aid budget slashed, and the Department of Foreign Affairs, which will implement the recommendations of the White Paper, has been told to tighten the purse strings and find sizeable savings over the next couple of years. So what should we expect to see in the White Paper? What will Australia identify as the foreign policy decisions it needs to take over the next decade? And what threats, challenges and opportunities will the country contend with? Giving me his expert analysis on that is Professor Michael Wesley. Michael is the director of the Coral Bell School of Asia-Pacific Affairs at the Australian National University, and he's one of the leading commentators and analysts on Australian foreign policy. Here's what he had to say. Michael Wesley, thanks for joining Policy Forum Pod. My pleasure. So Australia hasn't produced a foreign affairs white paper since, 20, since 2003, although the Ken Henry Asian Century white paper certainly had some foreign affairs elements. Why so long between drinks? Well, I think the, the world uh, after 2000 and let's say 2006, 2007 became uh, a more unstable, unpredictable place. Uh, you had um, the global financial crisis in 2008. You had the Arab Spring revolutions occurring uh, just after them. You had the rise of Islamic State. You had a more bellicose Chinese uh, foreign policy behaviour. Um, all of those things. And then you had, of course, the chaos in Europe and the unpredictability in Europe. So I think all of those things had our foreign policy makers uh, in a much more reactive mode because they weren't sure what was going to happen next and what sort of was linked uh, to what uh, next and sort of took away from them the, the headspace, if you like, or the space to to think in, um, uh, you know, in more big picture terms about their their attitudes and orientations to the outside world. So why is a white paper important? What are the risks in not outlining a clear foreign policy agenda and strategy? Well, I think the the problems with not having a, a, a white paper or a framework is that you become inherently reactive. You tend to uh, respond to events as they're occurring. You don't 
tend to look for the connections between uh, specific events that you're reacting to and broader interests that you might have. And so there's a sense of foreign policy drift, I think, that occurs in the absence of an overarching framework. There's a sense that we are managing the world, but um, we are not moving forward in the world in any particular direction or in any particular way. And I think a country um, in our location of our size needs to have a very clear sense of where it's going. It needs to marshal uh, the small resources we have and get the biggest outcomes from them. Have we seen any of that drifting over the last decade or so without a clear foreign policy agenda? Yeah, look, I think we have. I think there's a sense in which, um, to take uh, one example, um, our relationships in the South Pacific have kind of drifted off course and uh, there's no real sense of, of an Australian clear agenda of what we want to achieve in the South Pacific and how we want to engage in that region. I think something similar could be said about Southeast Asia that, uh, you know, we've seen um, really major changes in Southeast Asia in in many ways not in our interests. They're, they're, um, they're, they're certainly moving against in directions that we really wouldn't want to um, see uh, develop any great momentum and yet there hasn't really been a sense that Australia has a, a clear view of what it would like to see in, in Southeast Asia and what it wouldn't like to see and, and how to achieve its preferred option. Are you referring there to issues like the South China Sea? South China Sea, but I think probably the Malays of, of ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. I think it's probably in, in some of the worst repair it's in. It's been in uh, since it was founded back in the 1960s. There's real division and, and uh, real uncertainty about how to, how to handle China. Uh, and what to do about territorial issues and uh, and also some other values based issues. So, um, you know, there are there are really key um, uh, uh, elements in our immediate environment uh, that are very interlinked and could really benefit from a broader overarching sense of of what Australia's interests are in the world and how we go about things. And you talked there about some of the things that were in the last white paper, things like Islamic terrorism and trade with Japan and the US alliance. What would you like to see in this white paper? Well, I think uh, it needs to uh, deal very clearly with um, some very big issues. It can't skirt the big issues. The big issues are a growing sense of rivalry between the United States and China, um, a uh, growing backlash and opposition to globalization and therefore a malaise of multilateralism the problems of regionalism we're seeing in our own part of the world um, terrorism obviously has to be a part of this white paper um, but you know the uh, the increasing uh, level of armaments and and military sophistication in our region it's a big part of it that's what our defense white paper talked about all of those things have to be acknowledged and um, with a very clear sense of what is in Australia's interests and where, where uh, risks are posed to Australia's interests and what we're going to do about them. I mean, you mentioned there China and the last white paper certainly identified that China would be a rising power, but that's happened perhaps faster and more significantly than was expected. What should the new white paper say about the rise of China and Australia's policy towards that country? Well, it'll be obviously very nuanced, but I think we should um, we should acknowledge that 
there are significant occasions in which China's interests do not coincide with ours and do not coincide with those of our neighbours. So the challenge of uh, building a, a realistic relationship with China is by signalling very clearly that, yes, we do have interests in common with China and obviously we'll build on those, but there will be times and they will be significant times when our interests diverge from those of China and we will oppose China and we will try and change China's behaviour to be more in line with what we think is uh, um, uh, more reasonable, um, more beneficial for the entire region. Moving to the alliance with the US, we're going to see a new US president in the White House soon. Um, how will a President Trump or a President Clinton change Australia's relationship with the US? And are you worried that the US might be retreating from the region? It, well, they're two very different propositions. Um, I see Hillary Clinton as the establishment candidate. She will be someone who embraces a, a, an Asian role for America. She certainly did that as Secretary of State under President Obama, um, and she was a very enthusiastic advocate of the rebalance, the American rebalance towards the Asia-Pacific. Trump is, a, is another uh, kettle of fish, and it's very hard to talk about uh, Trump because he is so unpredictable. I, I don't think we should um, infer from what he said on the election campaign what his policies would be if he became president. So there is every possibility that uh, that we may see if, see from Trump a drawback, or there is every possibility that we might see a more engaged and co combative America in this particular part of the world. So it's hard to say. Um, what uh, what we're almost certain of is that American foreign policy in this region will probably change. Uh, in uh, after the election, uh, Hillary Clinton, quite unlike President Obama, has um, stated her opposition to the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, where that would leave U.S. foreign policy and the rebalance in the region is a is a very big question. Whether the rebalance can continue and hold any water, despite uh, pulling out of TPP, will be a very big question. So. Very hard to find a, a, a clear answer on this one. Does that present, present particular challenges for putting together a white paper when there's little clarity about what US foreign policy might be like? No, because a white paper gives um, us an opportunity to state very clearly to the United States government what our interests are in America's role in the Pacific. And so... Um, I think a white paper is often extremely helpful because it can signal to an American government that here is a close ally of the United States and these are what our expectations are of a US role. Um, and it carries implications that if the United States changes that role. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. It will have implications for their role with a close ally like Australia. Now, Australia has just endured a uh, very long federal election campaign, but in that there was little discussion of foreign policy. Why do you think that is, and is it a problem? I think that is because there is a general assumption in Australian politics that there's no votes in foreign policy, that people are 
disengaged from foreign policy issues and that you know issues around uh, livelihoods and taxation and healthcare and everything else are more important. I think that's generally right, but I think it's unfortunate because it gives rise to a sense in Australia that foreign policy is not important. And yet, if you look at uh, Australia and where we sit, if the world is not working in ways that are in our interests, then we will be a lot more, a lot less safe and a lot less wealthy and prosperous than we currently are. So we've had this sense in which um, the world has been nicely managed and organised in our interests by very big and powerful countries, often that look and think like us, Um, I'm not so sure that's going to be the case anymore. Um, We know that China does not look at the world in the same way that we do. We know that China does not um, value the same things in regional and world order that we do. And uh, if we we think that uh, the rising role of China... Uh, in regional and global affairs will simply coincide with a perpetuation of the sort of world we've become comfortable with, I think we're mistaken. I think it's time for Australia to start taking foreign policy a lot more seriously. And do you think the process of actually developing a white paper might help and to sharpen the attention? I certainly hope so. Uh, It depends what process they, they, you know, undertake. Certainly with the Defence White Paper, there was a broad process of public engagement and consultation that occurred. They took it extremely seriously. Traditionally, white papers haven't done that in the past. They uh, they tend to be the work of a, a small um, focus group of people working on it and, and usually a, a single uh, drafter within the Department of Foreign Affairs. Um, I think this is a real opportunity now for the government to engage with the Australian public and uh, take it into its confidence and to listen to the Australian public about what they want from Australian foreign policy. Now, free trade agreements have been a hallmark of the coalition government, and they've already flagged their intention to pursue agreements with India, Indonesia, the European Union, uh, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership and Pacific Island countries. How important are these trade agreements to Australia's foreign policy framework? And are the existing deals actually delivering the promised benefits? So let me deal with your last question first. I don't believe so. I mean, I think that um, a lot of the free trade agreements that we sign are strategic in a sense that we, we negotiate and sign them so that our competitors don't get a better market access deal than we do. But economists here at the ANU, people in Crawford like Shiro Armstrong and Peter Drysdale have pointed out that these sorts of agreements have significant trade distorting effects and they actually, while they actually lock us into certain markets, they actually distort trade away from other markets as well and so they can actually decrease our welfare. So I think we need to be very careful about that. Um, I think we sign these trade agreements uh, more often than not for non-trade and non-economic purposes. We use them as uh, an indication that we are uh, well-integrated and well-connected with countries with which we want to be well-integrated and well-connected. Um, there was a fear for a long time that Australia would be shut out of some sort of grand Asian economic bloc. 
that is no that has that has really receded into the background mainly because um, we now have all of these trade agreements and uh, and the prospects of being shut out of markets is no longer terribly realistic um, but I do think that uh, pursuing these sorts of trade agreements in the absence of thinking about more broad, uh, multilateralized trade deals such as a possible free trade area of Asia and the Pacific um, would be a mistake and so I think a foreign policy white paper would need to think in fairly big picture terms about what we're trying to achieve and what we want to see brought about in the world of global trade and investment. Moving on to a very different issue, an emerging challenge over the last decade has been cybersecurity as a foreign affairs issue. Do you expect the next white paper to confront that? And if so, how? I would think it would probably be a very limited part of the next white paper. Cybersecurity is something that really belongs in a kind of a national security white paper. Certainly there are aspects of foreign policy that are involved with cybersecurity, but um, I think it's it's really um, a foreign policy white paper is really about setting out our interests um, and the key foreign policy mechanisms and relationships for advancing those interests rather than talking about specific security issues. Uh, one of the big surprises from the 2015 federal budget was a 20% cut to the foreign aid budget, uh, the equivalent of $1 billion. This year's budget reduced it further by a more modest $200 million. Does this big pullback on aid hamper our diplomatic efforts and alter the way the rest of the world sees us? I think it certainly has an effect on Australia's international influence. I think the fact that our aid is becoming less significant over time, certainly in the rest of the world, but even in our own region. You know, we are now going to be going into a time when um, Australia is not, for instance, the predominant aid giver in the South Pacific. Uh, and uh, and that's going to have big uh, repercussions for our influence in that particular part of the world. So obviously we've cut aid spending because of budget realities, but I think the government really needs to think hard about the effectiveness of our aid, what we are achieving with it, and whether that aid is really aligned to our interests and what we want to achieve in the South Pacific. And of course, it's not just the aid budget that's going under the knife, but funding for the department itself. DFAT has been told it's got to find savings of 2.5% per year for the next two years. Does that hamper DFAT's ability to deliver whatever strategy is actually set out in the white paper? Oh, definitely. You know, we, we've we seen now that, uh, that Australia has one of the most constrained diplomatic budgets in the entire OECD. Uh, and uh, despite uh, a modest lift in uh, funding for DFAT, I think, in the 2015 budget. Um, uh, I think we're still struggling way down at the end of the table of the OECD. A country like Australia needs a powerful diplomatic network. It needs a dynamic and uh, well-resourced foreign affairs department. Um, I think the uh, continuing squeezing of DFAT is another element of, of, of this broader Australian belief that the rest of the world will look after itself. Could a white paper start to reverse that process? Sure, if Julie Bishop can convince her colleagues that DFAT needs extra money and uh, if she can lock them in on that. I think she seems to be someone who believes that DFAT needs more money, um, uh, but her ability to persuade colleagues, 
I think, uh, has has waxed and waned over time. And, um, um, uh, you know, there, there are other pressing priorities. So I don't think uh, anyone really expects a major increase in investment in foreign affairs. Finally, Michael, what's your hope for the sort of grand vision that this white paper will set out? I would like to see a, a really sophisticated engagement with the challenges, the big challenges and trends that are going on in the world. I'd like the Australian government to kind of reassert a sense of imagination and big picture thinking about what's happening in the world and how it's all related to each other. Um, I think we need a very clear articulation of Australian interests again. White papers need to be very clear about what our interests are and how we're going to go about uh, 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 pursuing those particular interests in the world that we've inherited. So those would be the really key elements of, of a white paper and a successful white paper. Michael Wesley, many thanks for your time and insights today. My pleasure. Fascinating stuff and my thanks to Michael for his time. If you'd like to hear more about some of the issues raised here, get yourself along to the Australia 360 conference, which is happening in Canberra this coming Monday. The conference is put on by the Coral Bell School and features plenty of great speakers discussing how Australia is travelling in today's world. The event is free and it runs all day. You can find more details about it and a link in the post about this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the discussion today. We are really keen, as always, to hear your thoughts on all of the things we talk about on the pod. You can get in contact with us on Twitter, where we are at Apps Policy Forum, or Facebook, where we are Asia Pacific Policy Society. Or just leave us a comment on Policy Forum. We'll be interested to hear your take on it all. Don't forget, you can keep up to date with public policy issues throughout the region at policyforum.net. We'll be back in a fortnight with another Policy Forum pod. Until then, cheerio. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.